listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. Coming at you from Manhattan Island in New York City. This is a special edition of Dirty Feet, where we're actually going to be speaking to some artists while we're in town here in uh, New York, New York. And uh, we're starting off this week with Dylan Crossman, who uh, you may recognize his name from a, a recent episode we did about Bougissi, because back in Montreal, he presented a, a short choreographic work as part of the Common Space Showcase. He uh, is much bigger than all that, though. He's a dancer who is based uh, partially in New York, partially in Montreal. He's from France originally. He has performed with uh, the Merce Cunningham Company over a number of years. He also works with Sylvain Imard um, on this project, Ce n'est pas la fin du monde, which you haven't yet seen in Montreal. It uh, is rumored to be coming soon, though. But he has been touring the world with uh, Sylvain and uh, it sounds like with, with other opportunities as well. So, Dylan, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, sit down and talk with us today. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here and, um, and meet with you um, over tea and a microphone. Yeah, it is a cool little uh, hangout. hangout green room. <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah, so uh, it's been really interesting for me working with uh, Sylvain Emar because um, so I grew up in France and my, my father's English-Canadian, but from Montreal. And I hadn't really ever lived there, and I was sort of wanting to check it out because um, it's a, a part of me, and also it seemed like a friendlier, cheaper place than New York City, <laughs> um, but still of the North American continent. And so I got this great opportunity working with Sylvain, and uh, I really appreciated um, all the work we did together, and he is... Um, less of a formalist than Merce Cunningham was, but still technical and very physical, which I really appreciated. And it also gave me an in into the Montreal dance scene. However, like you were saying, this show hasn't actually been uh, presented officially in Montreal. It will come to La Gora de la Danse uh, in January 2015. So it's been really interesting for me to work in Montreal and get to know all these um, amazing artists. I'm actually kind of in love with the Montreal dance scene. Um, but nobody has really seen me dance except in the context of Bouche d'ici, which I was lucky enough to be a part of this year and presented my own work in. In this context of, of talking about all these different cities and that you're working in, is your dual base in, in New York and Montreal, is that purely based on the fact that you want, you have a personal desire to explore and work in two different cities, or does it come from a necessity in this environment as a performer, as a dance artist, that you need to, to be flexible in your location? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, I want to say that it is a necessity um, because New York is an amazing place artistically, um, so fulfilling, so challenging, um, but it is one of the most expensive cities um, in the world. And um, it's it's been a little bit difficult. I mean, I'm working with like five or six different people here, and I'm, I'm considered at the top of my field, and I still can barely make rent. So that's just, it's just a sad fact, um, you know? Um, 
and I feel like a city like Montreal, because the the funds are much more um, coming from the government, then how much dancers are paid is actually monitored more than here. Here it's private grants, so the rich private grantors don't care if the dancers are getting paid or not. They just want to see a good show. In Montreal, and I think it's it's a little bit the same in France, a lot more of the grants are coming from the government, so they make sure that if we're giving you money, you're giving that money back to your dancers as well. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question exactly, yeah, but I think absolutely. both. Um, and you're complicating the issue even further because you're actually presenting your own work as part of Cartier <laughs> Dance uh, coming up. And so right. now you're the one who's trying to find the money to pay for your performers. Exactly. It's actually been, it's a really interesting, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to be one of those people who doesn't pay their dancers because I, I have been and I'm still working on too many projects where I don't get paid um, hourly for rehearsal. And I refuse to be one of those choreographers and I obviously can barely survive myself. So I can't pay my dancers what I would want to or what they deserve. But what I try to do is to be really upfront about what I can pay, the minimum that I can pay and tell them from the very beginning, this is what I can pay at least. I might have more, but I might not. And I'm going to try to limit the rehearsals, but you should feel free to say no. However, I'm really trying to develop something. So if you say yes, we're, we're going to be in this together and we're going to work hard. And, you know, and, and actually one of my dancers recently said I was the most professional person he's ever worked with. Even though I didn't pay that much, I paid him what I said when I said I would. And so that's just what I try to, you know, it's like if I can't give you enough, at least I can give you what I said when I said. And that I mean, it makes a huge difference when I'm trying to pay rent and people are like, yeah, sorry, just, just two more weeks. And it's like, no, my rent is like on Saturday. Like you can't, sorry, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of when re reality hits, you know, the, the, the world that we live in. But as far as um, the relationship you have with your dancers, because I feel like it must be a really beautiful one and, and not an intimate one necessarily, but where the communication seems to be very clear. Um, do you feel that uh, there are other conflicts other than having to pay them when dealing with um, dancers in general or when managing a project? Yeah. So um, one thing that is sort of related to the paying issue is we are in New York and everybody has five jobs. So scheduling rehearsal gets very complicated on top of can I find rehearsal spaces affordable and that is free when my dancers are free. It's like, there's three of us, and all three of us are working with at least three different companies. So just scheduling rehearsal is already a nightmare that makes you want to just quit everything and have a nervous breakdown. If you get past that, um, what I have found challenging is trying to create a safe environment for my dancers where a lot of my work is about um, identity, and it can be slightly autobiographical, but not just about my story, about their story as well, because I'm really interested in showing the individual how how we are. Like, I don't care about what you're putting out there on stage when you're trying to be something else. Like, I'm interested in revealing something about you that people don't know. Because if it's true, if it's real, it's going to touch people in such a deeper way. And so what's what's been interesting and difficult is trying to create a safe environment where my dancers feel like they can be themselves and let sides of them come out that I don't necessarily know while still 
having them respect me in a way, you know? So it's like, I'm trying to create this environment that isn't too formal because we're, we're playing around. We're, we're using text. We're being sexy. We're being shy. We're being vulgar. We're being, we're dancing. And at the same time, there are moments where I'm like, okay guys, but let's keep it together. You know, like we're, we're having fun. It's great. And I want you to let loose because I want to find those things. But then when I say, let's do it, we need to do it. And so that's what's hard because I'm, I'm trying not to be too, um, not to use too much authority, but then it's also how to let that go and then bring it back in is. Yeah. So the balance between being creative and, and finding a certain rigor and direction to the work. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I guess that everybody, I guess the people that you chose to be in your, in your work and while in, within the creative process have influenced your work because as you said, it's about your story, but also theirs. It's kind of mixing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the sections in this trio I'm actually presenting in in May here in New York. Um, we're all around a microphone and we all share stories about ourselves. Whether it's, you know, my mom took me to the store when I was three and I couldn't pick a birthday present because there were so many things, and so she got fed up and I got nothing. And how that still. Um, sticks the sticks and I'm still having like issues because of that one thing that happened to me when I was three or um, things much more trivial and not vulgar but kind of real life not sexy like I had one too many tequila shots and I was like vomiting all over the cab you know that kind of like that's also part of who we are and and if you're gonna put yourself on stage half naked it's like sorry you guys but that is also part of me like that is also part of like what made me me and and also giving uh, forward themes that are relatable to, to audience mm-hmm. members. So that kind of makes us feel like we know you in an intimate way. Yes. And um, I, I had the pleasure of seeing your piece at, uh, in Montreal at Mainline Theater, part of Bougie as we mentioned. And I think I could sense that even in your solo work. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be a direction that, that inspires you. Yeah, I think um, as a dancer, I've tried over the past few years to really be myself. And actually one of the... Last things that Merce Cunningham ever said to me. Um, so it's kind of a, a strange... I was an understudy for two years when he was alive. And because he was uh, old and his body hurt, um, he was 88 when I became an understudy. He didn't travel with the company anymore, which means that we were four understudies and we got to work with him every single day for five hours. And so that was just an unbelievable experience. And... Um, me and Jamie Scott, who currently is actually dancing with Trisha Brown Dance Company, um, we are the last two that got hired by Merce a month before he died. And so we got hired and like we got in the company. We had like three shows and then he passed. And so it's this very bittersweet. Obviously, we're honored to have been chosen, and mm-hmm. but we never got to be in the company while he was directing it, which changes things a little but I just remember him um, on one of our last performances before he died we were at Jacob's Pillow which was where his first season for the Morris Cunningham Dance Company was as well so kind of coming full circle um, we we set up Skype so he watched the performance live from New York and we talked to him on Skype before the show and he said to us don't show off just be yourselves be yourselves in the movement and don't show off. And that has stuck with me because I, the movement is enough. It should be enough. 
what the task that you're trying to accomplish as a dancer on stage should be enough. You don't have to add anything. And so I tried to become a very honest performer in my presence and just trying to be myself and just delivering how I'm feeling today. If I'm feeling good, bad, if I'm feeling tired, it's all part of it. It's all interesting. And I can't really deny it or fight it. So I might as well put it out there. And so that's what I'm trying to do with my choreography as well. So it also applies in um, not only your role as a dancer, but also as a choreographer. And I'm sure that's something that's contagious for the dancers uh, of your work. Um, but how do you juggle those two hats? Kind of being, yes, a performer for Sylvain Mall or the Merce Cunningham Company or, you know, all these different choreographers. And how do you wear those two hats? Because it's, I guess it's a very different role and somewhat of a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. It actually, um, it's really interesting because still dancing for other people um, allows me to not have to get rid of everything I want to do artistically in my own work. So I think that um, I love, I'm a very physical dancer. I love dancing. I love eating up the space. Um, but I'm happy that I get to do it for other people because then I don't feel like I have to do it in my work. So in a way, it's like I'm getting out my whole like dancing, performing, um, everything that I love in other people's work. So then when it gets to my work, I couldn't really just do what I feel like is part of my company's mission as opposed to what I want to do as a dancer. And I think you often see um, people that don't have as much or as much anymore of a career as a dancer sort of get out what they wish they could do or they wish they had done in their work as dancers. And so I'm trying to not do that. And there's often moments where I'm like, I just want to dance pretty. I just want to make this really nice phrase for my dancers because they're so good. But then I'm like, but that's not really the point of what I'm trying to say with my company. I guess it comes back to what you shared in, in the beautiful words that, that Merce shared with you, you know, of not showing off and, and just being super present in your work. And so I guess you get to get that side of you out while you're dancing for other people and then be very real and grounded in your own work. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's very freeing. It's great. I, I imagine pickings are a bit slim when it comes to roles, uh, working as a performer for other choreographers. Do you, do you select kind of who you work for? Um, I've, rarely said no um i i don't want to make it sound like i mean i know i just said being a dancer in new york is hard i've also i've now really been approached by people that i am not interested in um in working with which i'm so lucky for um i've been approached by people where i've said i'm out of town i'm not here which is another complication of having a dual base is there are all these projects that, well, if I was working, you know, rehearsing in New York with Sylvain from like, whatever, three to six, then I could still do this other project from six to eight or from like 10 to two. But it's like, no, actually, I'm in Montreal for these three weeks, so I can't. And then the other thing has happened too, where it's like, ooh, this last minute replacement in Montreal, like I, you know, I'm getting a call or an email and it's like, we need somebody like tomorrow. We, we heard you were great. Can you do it? And it's like, I'll be back in Montreal in two weeks. Sorry. So that kind of creates um, um, a bit of a challenge. Um, I generally try to pick the people that I work with. And now I try to challenge myself. Um, 
So I'm trying to get away from the the Cunningham formalism um, in terms of the solely technical aspect of things. Um, so now it's like I have one or two people that are still very technical, but then I try to branch out and work with people like this woman, Kimberly Bartosik and um, her work, even though she was in the Com- Cunningham company as well, her work is very sparse and emotionally charged and intense and based on lights actually. So I'm, I'm quite curious to see your show. Cause I heard there was a lot of dancers lighting the space or lighting themselves, um, which um, seems to resemble what, how I would describe her work. Um, but so, yeah, I think I, I try to have like sort of a multiplis, a multitude of things um, that are different and challenge me in a different way. So I keep growing. And of course that show that you're referring to is Stephanie Moret Robert's for body and light, uh, which uh, can also be called coming and going in the presentation that happened at Tangente in Montreal at the end of February, 2014. So on top of having a dual base, you've also done plenty of touring with the Cunningham company with Sylvain Amart. How do you uh, keep up your training or keep up with other projects while you're abroad? Um, well, it's kind of a give and take thing where people are, people that I work with are generally willing to, um, deal with those restrictions so that we get to work together. So generally when I have tours abroad, I know in advance. And so when I work with somebody, I'm like, I'd love to work with you, but these are our blackout dates or these are brown eyed dates. And you know, I'm going to do my best to still be available when I said I would be, but just so you know, these two weeks, I'm definitely in Europe. These two weeks, I'm definitely abroad. Um, and people, it works or it doesn't, you know, there have been times where it's like, I really want to work with you, but you come back the week of the show. I can't do it. Um, and as for the training, it's, I, now that I'm older, uh, I know what my body needs a little bit more and I'm actually able to provide that for myself. Um, so I don't take class as much as I used to when I was younger. Um, also classes are really expensive here in New York. So I try to go to class at least once a week. I don't always manage that. Um, I go to the gym, I swim, uh, sort of keep in shape. And then I try to make sure that I have enough time to warm up before rehearsals, just to make sure that I do what I need to, but certainly staying in shape is, it's a challenge. Um, especially when you're traveling so much and you know, you get to a foreign city, you have no idea where to take class, how much it is, um, how the people are going to be there, you know, just some foreigner like showing up for class. I mean, not every place is like New York or Montreal. I think smaller cities, you know, you, you go to like a private dance studio and they're like, who are you? So, um, yeah, it's just hard. So every city has its own kind of, uh, cultural flavor. Uh, It also has a different, um, societies have different relationships with culture. And I'm wondering if you could speak to kind of your favorite audiences or, or the difference you've felt in audiences around the world, the various cities that you've performed in. This is actually really interesting because, uh, so France, which is where I'm from originally, where I was born and raised, um, the audience is very, um, educated in terms of dance they know a lot um, they also have really strong opinions so i feel like 
the people certainly loved Mercer's work. They also love Sylvain's work because I think it's really technical, but also has this edge to it. Um, however, because they know so much about it, they can be snob about it as well. Um, and so I have never received as much of a novation in France. I've also never heard as many people like stand and like scream random stuff at the performers during a show as in France, you know? And it's like, who are you? You know, they're, they're screaming about the music or the costumes or whatever. And I'm like, really? Like who does that? And they, in France, they do that. You know, they do that. They're very opinionated and they will tell you what they think in the middle of a show. Um, the other place where I just feel like people that don't actually get to see dance a lot, um, really appreciate it. We went to Mexico city and people were very, we were very warmly, uh, welcomed. Um, it's also something I find with people that don't know anything about dance or children, which I think a lot of people would look, um, at those, uh, social groups as like lesser and they'd be like, well, you know, it doesn't really count. They don't know anything about dance or it's kids, like whatever. But actually I find those audiences very rewarding because they like something, not because they've been told they should like it, not because they understand why they should like it, but just because they like it. So when I have somebody that, and this has happened to me like two or three times where people are like, I love it, but you know, I don't know anything about dance. And I'm like, actually, it's more valid to me that you who don't know, who doesn't know anything about it, likes it without knowing why, as opposed to somebody who's been to college and knows everything and knows the different currents and the choreographers and the, you know, trends. So that, and then kids, you know, when you have like a seven or eight year old that comes up to you after a show and is like, I want to be a dancer like you. I'm like, I don't know what, but I did something right. You know? Yeah. I, I feel like there's a something about the innocence of somebody's opinion and, and there's all you could also fall into a hole when you are um just say I studied dance and I have a hard time just letting everything I've learnt or what I learnt should be good or isn't good and and it's hard to actually enjoy a show now without you know, finding those little things or, or, or thinking, okay, how can I make this better? Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah, as yeah. though it's some kind of school exercise. Um, so I totally get what you're saying with like trying to just take a step back and, and do you feel that that's something, since it's something that you understand, is it something you could do when you're an audience member watching work? I still find it really hard <laughs> to not um, be critical. I mean, and, and part of it is also we, we challenge ourselves and we grow by constantly having a critical mind on things that we know or we like. And so sometimes I feel like going to see a show, even if it's, I would consider it a bad show, it, I still get something out of it because it makes me, it reminds me of the mistakes that I don't want to make in my own work, the traps that I don't want to fall into or the things that are like, well, I see what they were trying to do. And I actually had this really strange experience um, not that long ago where I hated a show, but I thought it worked. So, you know, that thing of like, I see what you're trying to do and it's actually working. It's getting at me, but I hate it. But still, like, it was a successful piece of art. So even you're able though, to separate your taste with 
yeah. with your understanding of a piece, you know, yeah. something that works. But it's easier if it's something that's further away from you. So I think that was like a very drastic um, queer performance installation show. So it was it was far enough for me. I was removed enough that I could feel that way. I feel like it would be harder for me seeing a modern dance show to be able to separate myself that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So I love how you described your your relationship between being a dancer and being a choreographer and how they are mutually beneficial. Does this mean that you plan to continue in both realms in the future? What What is next, Dylan Crossman? Yes, I hope to keep going um, as a dancer and a choreographer. Um, I have, as a dancer, I have upcoming projects um, with Sally Silvers, um, who's been a longtime dance improviser. She's been making work in New York since like the 60s. I mean, it's crazy. She's she's a revelation to me. Um, and uh, and I'm working also with Kimberly Bartosik. I'm working with Pam Tanowitz. We have a show coming up at the Guggenheim in 2015. I'm also working with Sylvain Mar still uh, in Montreal. And then I'm presenting my own work here in New York City in May uh, as part of the La Mama Moves Festival. It's an exchange festival between France, French artists and New York-based artists. And then I'm also presenting work um, in September at uh, Quartier Danse. In Montreal. Did I say this? In Montreal. Um, so that's all very exciting um, and also very time-consuming, you know, between being a performer, going to rehearsal, um, figuring out what I want to do for my own shows, getting my dance in rehearsal, finding money to fund all that. It's slightly overwhelming, but in the best possible way. That's amazing. And uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for you. Thank you so much for joining us for a chat today, uh, Dylan. Again, we've been speaking with Dylan Crossman, uh, New York slash uh, Montreal based dance artist. And uh, do you have a website or anything like that where we can? I don't yet, but you can find me on Facebook. Perfect. Friend him on Facebook. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our second interview in our series of uh, New York City interviews with the Dirty Feet podcast. We've uh, changed locations and we're actually sitting in the Gibney Dance Center here at uh, on Broadway in Manhattan. And we're uh, going to be interviewing another uh, artist who is now based in New York City. Her name is Samina Mitta, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Uh, now, Samina, you have uh, a lot of variety in your training, in your studies. Uh, you've you've um, been certified to teach Limon. You are uh, a 
Jaquetti instructor as well. That's a style of ballet. And uh, you did your master's at ECAM in Montreal, which of course our Montreal listeners are familiar with. And you uh, you actually tackled it both on the academic and the uh, kind of practical performance side, as I understand it. So congrats on that. I know that's Thank been you. a while now, but it's still, still very impressive. And uh, how long have you been based here in New York now? Um, it's been off and on for several years, but... Um I would say over the past couple of years, it's been uh, more here than in Canada. And over the last year, it, I've been uh, permanently based here. Okay. So our, our last uh, interview subject, Dylan, he, he, was, he considers himself split between Montreal and New York. Were you kind of working with a dual base uh, for a time there? Is that what you mean by partially? Or? Yeah, I uh, started a dance program in Toronto working with at-risk youth. Um, my program is called Mad Hops. And uh, I received funding in Canada to do this program with, with these, this group of youth. And, um, um, but I kept on coming back here every once in a while to do work here. And uh, I danced here with a choreographer. Um, and over the last year, it's just been leaning more towards New York and my work has been shown here a little bit more and um, and now that I'm no longer a resident of Canada the funding is a lot more limited obviously um, for Canadian government funding. So you're now a full-blown American citizen? No I'm a resident I'm a permanent resident resident here. Okay perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can we speak uh, a little bit perhaps about the space that we're in that was uh, founded by Gina Gibney, who is a, a colleague and friend of yours? She, yes, she's uh, an incredible woman, um, very uh, business-minded and really, really supportive of the arts. And uh, many years ago, she had one studio at 890 Broadway. And over the last couple of years, it's developed into eight studios, uh, incredibly designed and she's still here to support the arts as best as she can. Um, I also have trained with her to do uh, teaching um, survivors of domestic violence, doing movement workshops with them. And that's how my interest developed originally into doing my master's program, which was uh, a thesis on um, movement therapy for um, survivors of domestic violence from South Asia. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been curious about uh, movement uh, therapy and dance therapy myself, and I realize that it's a it's a difficult uh, it's difficult to find your pathway to certification in Canada. That there seems to be a little bit more clarity in in the states about what you need to do to become a movement therapist or to work in that field. Do you, having worked in both uh, countries, do you have a perspective on that? Um, I actually think there's some really great programs in Canada uh, to pursue dance therapy or movement therapy or art therapy. Um, I guess it's mostly art therapy and then dance or movement is one aspect of of that training program. Here you can actually become a a dance therapist. Um, But um, I would say that the actual opportunities for getting paid for what you do are equally the same in both places. Uh, It's very difficult. Um, Finding full-time employment in that field is nearly impossible. Um, It does happen. And uh, I think that it's an amazing opportunity once, 
once you are offered that kind of a, uh, a job. But I do think it's hard to, um, actually become certified, like you say, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not actually officially a movement therapist. I just have my master's in it. Right. <laughs> so. Well, can yeah. you describe a bit the, the type of work that you were doing? Or are you currently doing this kind of work with the I'm not working currently with the survivors of domestic violence. Um, I really needed a break after I did so much work with them. Uh, I think it was incredible and I will continue to do that work. But the Mad Hops program that I do is primarily for uh, the the youth group. So it's um, at risk youth who have, uh, who are living in situations that are not uh, necessarily offering them a lot of opportunities in life. So I am there to help guide them. And this is something that I've been doing in Toronto as well as in various countries. I've been to Kenya, India, um, in uh, Central America. Um, and then I've done the same thing here in the U.S. and as well as in Canada. So um, I think that the work that I'm doing is roughly the same it's really to help. It's using dance as a tool, but it's mostly just movement explorations to help offer individuals the opportunity to express themselves in a way that they would not normally express themselves. Uh, it it um, offers them a way to feel confident in themselves uh, and potentially making new friends, making new connections with people, um, having, uh, this physical outlet, it tends to create a very, uh, supportive environment and, um, a very vulnerable environment. And you can really seek out, uh, help from the people around you. So we offer all kinds of different things in, in my program to really help the youth, even, even things like reading through their CVs, you know, just to have them have that opportunity to share with other people things that they're going through. And you do quite a bit of teaching as well. You teach dance. Uh, what types of dance do you teach? I teach ballet and modern I imagine that teaching and leading uh, a youth therapy, a movement therapy group would be much different. And can you describe the way in which you would um, lead, lead a um, session as opposed to a class? Um, I actually can't say that they're all that different for me. Okay. Um, I really offer the, the base, the outline of my class remains the same for, for both. Uh, I think that a movement class is a movement class. Um, I will offer somewhat more technical movements uh, or or more challenging exercises uh, during a, a ballet class or a, a contemporary class. But generally speaking, my whole goal is to have people express themselves. And whether you're you've been dancing for thirty years or for three minutes, I think it's basically the same. You have a bit of warm up, you get some technique, you learn something new and you express yourself through movement. And uh, to round it all off, you're, you're also a choreographer in your own right. And then there's a, a, again, a different kind of relationship here where you're, you're teaching movement to someone uh, that 
we imagine has uh, a little bit more responsibility for themselves and towards your work as opposed to when you're a teacher and and the responsibility is yours to give to the students something do you do you feel that there's that kind of responsibility shift when you're choreographing as opposed to teaching it's an interesting question but I, again, would probably say no. It's I still have the same responsibility to both people. It's to keep them safe. It's to give them that opportunity to be heard. And my job is to help them do that the best way they can. And uh, would you say that you are in the process of finding your voice choreographically? Do you feel that you have a style that you could describe to us using... Just words? Um, That's always the challenge on a podcast. It is, and it's probably a challenge anywhere. (laughs) Um, I think that I've pretty much figured out what it is that I do choreographically. Um, That said, it's not easy to describe, uh, which is why I became a dancer in the first place, because I don't have a very good sense of of verbalizing what it is that I'm trying to express um, but I would say because of all of the ballet technique that I've had um, as well as the the more intense contemporary training that I've had um, it's very technically oriented but I'm also somebody who's never feel, felt all that included by communities so no matter how much ballet training I've had in my life, I was never really included as a ballet dancer. No matter how much modern dance training I will have, I've never really been included as a modern dancer. Um, I come from a mixed background, uh, half German, half Indian. Um, so I've never really been included by (laughs) any specific group. And so I would say that my work can't really fit into any particular group um, it is technically driven, but there's a very quirky awkwardness to it that feels very uncomfortable and, um, and it, it just feels right to me. <laughs> so, um, I also really enjoyed the challenge, the challenges of, of working, um, with things that seem impossible. So... I, I hope that that comes through in some way. Does your work uh, with with the victims of domestic assault, has that in any way, shape, or form affected your artistic expression when it comes to choreographing? I would imagine so. I think I've become a, a much more sensitive individual in terms of the quality of my movements, as well as how I work in the studios. Um, I really try my best to always make it a very inclusive, accepting, warm environment. And um, we try to laugh as much as we possibly can. And sometimes we cry. And that's when you come to the depth of your, your voice. You mentioned earlier before we started recording that you prefer to not be in your own work, that you prefer to see it. And... Uh, you have a very tall, elegant body, like very, I would say, balletic. But 
uh, I were, we saw the piece recently that you choreographed, and you choreographed on two women with very different bodies. And I'm curious about how you, at, with the teacher's eye, with the choreographer choreographer's eye, how do you um, approach that gap between your body and the body of the other performers? I guess I don't see the difference between my body and somebody else's body. Um, probably having had my body been such a focus my whole life um, through dance training, it was never good enough. It was never turned out enough. It was never this. It was never that. Uh, when I go into rehearsals, it's never about the body. It's strictly about I give material, I give movements, and I see what happens. <laughs> and how somebody else approaches my movements, um, I think is what I'm looking for, which is why I think I don't like to be in my own work. I like to see where, where it lands outside of me mm. and where somebody else takes it to. I think somebody else can really see what it is that you're going for and then take it to another level, which is also really exciting too. So I think um, you have to really be in the studio with people who you trust. And that's a big key. People that I really enjoy spending time with and, and people who are like-minded. All right. Now, in addition, uh, you're also performing still with, uh, for other people in their work. I'm curious about your perspective on what it is like to be a dance artist here in New York City. It's hard. Um, you're working nonstop for very little money and I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so, you know, there's those moments when you think, oh boy, maybe I, I should just go back to Canada. It's, it makes more sense there. The, the, the government supports the arts, um, a fair bit more. Uh, there's healthcare. <laughs> um, and then you, you put on a show or you, you have a piece in a, in a show somewhere and you, the entire dance community comes out to support you. And that's when you realize why you're here in New York. Uh, the, there is no other community like this. It's, um, inclusive, supportive, uh, inspiring. It's, it's New York. <laughs> uh, so if I were to say you know what's next do you consider that uh, do you do you expect to be staying in New York for for a long time to come now is that your projection um, I would say that I'm always Canadian it's definitely my roots are Canadian and I will always go back to Canada so I would probably lean more towards the half and half uh, life um, if possible so if I can manage to figure that out uh, uh, with my scheduling and financially and whatnot, I think that's the ultimate for me. You mentioned earlier, too, uh, some of the travels that you've done. Have you done travels where you're, you're working in the field of dance while you're away? Um, well, all of those ones that I had mentioned were working in dance. I was teaching movement um, in India, in Kenya, um, I was also performing in, uh, in Nicaragua um, recently. I guess that was a couple of years ago now. 
And last year I went to perform with a company in the Czech Republic. Um, so some of it has been for my own program teaching. Some of it has been performing. Um, but I have done a fair number of travels over the years, uh, all related to dance. I think my life is pretty much all related to dance. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely where my heart is. That's so cheesy. No, I love it. I love it. I want to like ask, uh, I want to like back way back up and ask uh, how you started dancing. Like hearing that it's so integral in everything that you do. Where was the seed planted? I probably started dancing way before I started speaking. In fact, no, I definitely did. Um, I really can't say that I spoke much through my entire childhood. Uh, and I moved around all the time. My parents would listen to music. Uh, they had a very eclectic taste. So they would put on music and I would be dancing around as a baby. So when I was about five years old, they put me into a so-called ballet class, which is not possible when you're five. <laughs> so it was actually a creative movement class and I I hated it. I did not want to clap my hands to the music and run around the studio. I wanted to be doing plies and tendus. I wanted <laughs> serious dancing. So I quit halfway through that year. I could not take it. And it wasn't until I was about nine that my best friend's mother wanted to put my friend into a ballet class. And my friend refused to go unless I went with her. So she convinced my mother to let me go to ballet class and off I went. Of course, it was by the age of nine. It was real ballet with plies and tendus and I fell in love and she quit about two, <laughs> two weeks later and I was admitted into the uh, professional program at the School of Dance in Ballet and that was it for me. I found my voice. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with uh, Samina Mitta here at the Gibney Dance Center in uh, New York City. Uh, thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Thank you. Is there anywhere that we can find more information about you and what you do? The name of my dance company is Mean Moves, um, as in Samina, so M-E-E-N, Moves. Um, and uh, um, my webpage is currently under construction, so... In the next few weeks, hopefully, it will be up and running. So check it out soon.
So welcome once again. We're in the green room of the Frigid Festival、um, in New York. We're really excited to have another special guest with us, somebody that we've crossed paths with in Montreal, whether at Concordia University or the Bougeisi Festival, which we've spoke about before.、Um, Benjamin Richards, who is、uh, now living in New York and、uh, working a lot with video, and before that he was at Concordia University. So another.、Uh, Guest that is has a double location and、um, kind of knows what's going on in Montreal, but also here. So we're really interested to talk to him about that. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Wonderful.、Um, so yeah, as I already mentioned,、uh, how was that? What made you decide to kind of leave Montreal and and come to to New York? Well,、um, it was a hard decision to leave Montreal. I I very much love that city and love the people I was working with and loved the dance and the art that was being created in that city.、Um, my choice my choice to leave the city was really came out of、um, a bit of a, a bit out of necessity. Um, I had been working for three summers at Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival、um, as a videographer there.、Um, it's a it's a four month、uh, gig that I was doing for four, four consecutive summers, and after the fourth one, maybe it's after the third one. Oh, I've kind of lost count. Anyways,、um, after one of them,、um, I realized that I had more professional. Contacts、um, in the dance community,、um, particularly related to video, in New York than anywhere else in the world, and I had never even been to New York. So it just kind of made sense、um, to follow my career and to actually make a living to um, um, take the leap. And it was a good point in my life because I wasn't really tied down at the, at the time.、Um, so、uh, I picked up my stuff and moved to New York. For for those listening who don't necessarily know what Jacob's Pillow is or where it is, can you maybe tell us a little bit about it and how it's contributed to your career in dance? Absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna challenge my、uh, my dance history knowledge here.、Um, <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> Norton Owen. If you're out there listening, I apologize if I get any of the details wrong.、Um, Jacob's Pillow is it's it's the、um, oldest dance festival in North、uh, in North America. It's the、um, It was founded by Ted Shawn、um, during the Depression in the 30s.、Um, he went out、um, after he broke up with、um, well uh, with his、um, business partner、um, Ruth St. Dennis. They had the Dennis Shawn Company、um, in New York, and、um, he ended up leaving New York and moving. To buy a farm in the Berkshire Mountains of Massachusetts、um, to try his own thing. In a sense, he、um, he took this farm,、um, brought some male dancers that he had worked with、um, and some friends of his, and they all moved into the cabins out in the woods and started to transform this place with their bare hands into a retreat for dance. So they they create they founded the first all male dance company in、um, in North America called Ted Shawn and his men da- dancers. From that,、um, Jacob's Pillow、um, grew and turned into a school and then a and a performance venue、um, and is now a, a fabulous institution that is a summer festival lasts three months long,、um, four months if you're working it. <laughs> And、uh, it's it's got a, an enormous archive of dance footage and dance documentation that goes back to、um, the early forties.、Um, that's actually a lot of what I do. That what I participate in contributing to as a videographer is documenting everything that happens at the pillow for、um, for posterity.、Um, 
and then the it's like I said, it's a school. So there's various schools, the programs that happen that are professional level education um, in ballet, modern well, ballet contemporary um, jazz and musical theater, and then they have a, a rotating um, cultural traditions program. So one year it was salsa, another year it was hip-hop. Um, they've done tap several times. Um, so there's the school, um, and then there's, they bring, there's the actual performance festival, so they bring in companies from around the world um, every week. It's new companies. Um, and then there's the education side of it, which is really unique about the festival and really a critical part of, of the archives where I work, um, which is host, they host lectures and, and conversations about dance, dance history, dance making, um, to educate the population um, about dance and create a deeper relationship to it. So that's the festival. <laughs> wow. Well, that was a lot. That You went very into detail there. Um, and as far as uh, working with video and, and uh, media and, and documentation and all of that, how is, uh, where have you taken it since that, since your experience, which is ongoing, of course, but um, yes. all it's of very much skills. a journey. Yeah. Um, since I've moved to New York, um, I've continued to document dance. Um, uh, I work a lot for a production company called Nell Shelby Productions here in New York. Um, she also is um, the head videographer at Jacob's Pillow. Um, so her production company here in New York works, um, gets hired by uh, just a multitude of dance companies to, fit, to do ex basically exactly what we do at the Pillow, which is document their performances, whether it be at the Joyce or um, Joyce Soho or um, New York Live Arts or any of the venues in town. Um, also occasionally do documentation of workshops. I'm currently um, documenting a continuing workshop over, the, over, over a few weekends um, by a group called Dance Laboratory. Uh, I'm sorry. Dance Educators Laboratory. It's Dell. Um, and they do... They are... They host all sorts of workshops for dance educators um, to, to help build their craft. And they work with, they work with real, um, real artists who are actually practicing their craft, like Kyle Abraham or Doug Verone or any of these... Um, uh, successful contemporaries work with them to, to have a discussion about how actual practical performance dance can be um, can be transformed into um, uh, into the classroom. Um, so I do stuff like that. I've worked with uh, just freelanced with different companies like BAM, which is the Brooklyn Academy of Music, um, the home of Mark Morris. Uh, I've worked with their education department and have filmed many of their um, youth education programs. Um, and then this last year, uh, I was lucky enough to actually apply and get a job with a part-time job with the New York Public Library. So I work downtown on 42nd Street. My my subway stop is Times Square, which is um, that's exciting. It's it's, it's exciting and, and dreadful at the same time. It's like I love it because I'm like this is so New York, and then I hate it because I'm fighting with uh, tourists just to get to my work. <laughs> For those who don't know what Times Square is, can you maybe explain? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, there's also so much more than just this like documentation and video side to you, and I've had the pleasure of seeing your work, which I'm a big fan of. And, and I'm wondering if you kind of put that on rest and if you're still creating work and if you're still developing um, your career or your practice as a choreographer or as a dancer because I've also seen you on stage quite a bit. It, it was kind of funny when I moved to New York that my um, uh, my dancing took a bit of a back seat um, uh, mainly because I was 
challenged with trying to make it in one of the more difficult cities to make it in. Um, but things have actually, things have really settled in for me in the last, um, uh, well, in the last year, like since I, since I got the job at the New York Public Library, things have gotten much more comfortable. I've been able to start saving and was able to um, recently invest in a camera of my own. Usually I, I rent or work with production facilities that have their own equipment. Um, and purchasing my own camera was less of a um, uh, business-minded purchase, even though it's going to hopefully very much make me make me some money um but more it was hope uh, in an effort to free me up to actually start creating again um i've i've got a few projects um creative projects that i want to do with with film um uh definitely have like a million dance film ideas that's going to take me a lifetime to work through <laughs> i'll be lucky if any of them any of them come to fruition um but i've also my my interests have have broadened a bit too like i've right now i'm i'm really looking at trying to um create a pilot for a um a sexy cooking show uh, <laughs> so it was it, it was just kind of a combination of all the things that I love, which is um, fitness, um, so uh, um, like the male body and food and film. So there's all the things that I love, and I'm trying to put that into a webisode. Can, can we have a little insider of what type of recipe? What would be your, your favorite recipe in that book? It's <laughs> a great question. We're currently we're currently discussing that. It, 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 we're trying to decide how healthy we're going to make this. <laughs> um, probably one of the first recipes will be like my pasta tuna salad. Like uh, just because it's been my go-to food every when I was a dancer, and I, I just have a giant uh, Tupperware container of this every dance class um, to get my carbs and my protein right after <laughs> right after moving. So it's almost been decided universally that there's definitely a difference between film, a dance on film, and dance in real time. Very much. And so. then, of course, there's a difference again between documentation of a performance or a dance video. Yeah. Uh, can you give us a little bit more insight? I mean, you're so intricately, intimately intertwined with all this <laughs> business. Well, yeah, and it's 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 interesting too because like people ask me when when they find out I'm. I'm in video. Um, they're like, "Well, what films have you worked on?" I'm like, "What? Well, technically, I've not worked on any films because um, the, the f film is a very different creature than video. Um, and like, there's there's a whole production around around film. Different types of cameras are used. Um, there's a, t a kind of planning around it, and um, and a sort of distribution of jobs that is very different from video. Like the video work that I do, I tend to do wear all the hats. I am the camera operator. Um, I'm usually the only one operating the camera, uh, the um, the one checking my own sound and, and doing my editing and my and my video ingestion. While with film, you usually have a whole crew that are really just that, that are even just dedicated to the camera alone. You'll have you'll have a camera operator and then you have a focus puller who is his only job is to pull the focus and set the focus while the camera operator is choosing where to point the camera and then the director is back there telling the camera operator what to do so it's it, the dy dynamic is very very different um film is definitely something i'm interested in getting into but it's like i said it's it's a different creature um in terms of video for dance um um, most of my experience has been with dance documentation, mainly because I got started at Jacob's Pillow, and our goal there is to document for, proprietor, for, for prosperity's sake. Um, 
So what that looks like, it tends to be a more conservative approach to filming. And what I mean by that is we're not trying to transform the art. We're not trying to create something new. We're trying to document it to, 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 to try to as accurately represent in a two-dimensional medium <laughs> um, of, of light uh, and, and, and pixels um, uh, what was actually happening on stage. So we tend to take wider shots um, that capture the whole body. Um, we, won't, we won't get very... The camera won't move much in terms of um, actually physically walking around with it, um, um, although we'll follow the dancers, of course. Um, and then editing-wise, too, it's, 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 a, it's a, not simpler, but definitely conservative. Um, you're not trying to again, be artistic with edits. You're not trying to create a new rhythm with it. You're trying to simply keep the eye on what's happening. Um, while Dance for, Dance for Camera is, a, is, an, is another creature, and it's, it's a really beautiful one that, I, that I'm very passionate about and I'm looking forward to making more. Because at that point, the, the, both the camera and the editing choices become dancers themselves. Um, um, one of the things I love the most about vide videography is when the camera moves. Um, I love tracking shots, jib shots, crane shots. Um, when you're actually able to get in there and move with the dancer and pull away in an arc, and it feels like movement in and of itself. Um, I was on a shoot once, um, and uh, it was a more artistic shoot uh, for for a robot that was that had been invented to fl that flies and follows people so they would so they had brought in some choreographers to dance with this robot and while i was filming it we took a break and one of the dancers came up to me is like do you dance <laughs> asking me behind the camera um, because you look like you're dancing when you're filming and I, I found that a great compliment because that's what it feels like for me and that, that's 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 that, that's the that's the core of what I love about film is that it moves and that it, that it has its own space. I'm curious if you've used uh, video as a tool towards creating a, a choreography for stage. I mean, I definitely grew up in a time where it was ex accessible enough to, um, to use it as a tool to just document myself when working in the studio. So I would create a phrase or a piece. I'd film myself and look at it to see whether I liked what I to see if, what I, if I liked what I, what I saw, what I, what I was doing. In terms of creative process, um, well, I, when I created a dance for my, my, my dance film that I made a few years back called Twamek, um, it, was, it was created, for, the choreography was created for the camera. And it was interesting because it, it, what I found really fascinating about it was the fact that about less than a minute worth of choreography turned into like a four-minute movie. And, I, and it was really interesting to see how, in, how temporarily speaking, like in time, the choreography changed um, as I edited it and filmed it and came up with new, new ways of, of creating pacing. Um, but in the creative process, um, video has not been in, as present f for creating for the stage as I've wanted it to be. I've always wanted to do more technological work um, that really is a mixed medium. Uh, and the, the environments I've worked in and created stage work for have never really lent themselves well to that. Um, so I think that's more of a, a lofty goal as opposed to something I've experienced yet. <laughs> the Pina movie was amazing. 
it blew my mind. I think it blew a lot of people's minds. Um, and what I found very incredible about it as well is, of course, the 3D aspect of it. I'm wondering uh, what your opinion is on, on using 3D video for documentation of work. and if or, or is there another step that would further kind of get you that that closer to that feeling of actually being there to see the work in person to, to answer the second part of your question i have no clue like like really when things get in when when technology gets innovative it really usually comes out of left field it's it's frequently just an absolute surprise and a joyful one um you know actually uh, uh, I take that back. There is one. There is a couple realms of, of technology, ways of, of new technologies that are coming out that I think have a really interesting potential. One of them is the idea of 360 um, video. Um, right now, right now, there's definitely 360 photography, um, and you and it's it's become it's very accessible now. They've got these really cool little devices. Like there's this camera that that I just saw a Kickstarter for. It's just a little ball, like a little sphere. You toss it up in the air. It's got a velocimeter inside of it that recognizes when it reaches the, the apex of its um, of the of the toss. So once it reaches that moment of temporary stillness at the at the peak of its toss, um, it takes a 360 degree photo. Um, so it documents the room and then and then comes back down and you catch it. So instead of being in your own shot holding a camera that that shoots 360, it catches it above you. So it really just captures the room and I thought that was so cool and it's dirt cheap it's like I think the camera is going to be under $100 it's nothing um, and something like that like those type of things um, are happening in video as well um, there's there was a camera I worked with in Montreal um, there, there's a arts technology uh, facility in downtown Montreal and I can't remember the name of it. Is it the SAT? It is SAT, yes. So I, I worked with um, one, with SAT with because they had the, that new dome they built recently that does um, not it's 360 dome videography um, and they have a camera that, that films for that um, it's called the Ladybug and it's just it, it looks like a little Ladybug because it's a bunch of little basically webcams that are all placed on top of a device um, and it can film in 360 and then get stitched within um uh, within an Adobe product, um, so that kind of thing is really interesting. I think that's a, definitely a new direction to, that that will create a whole new challenge for dancers um, trying to film in a 3D space um, that's not just 3D in a 2D platform. It's a, a 2D medium. It's literally 3D because it surrounds you. Um, <clears throat> Um, and then 3D dance, like just 3D videography, is becoming so accessible now too. They have handy cams that any consumer can buy that that shoot in 3D. And these uh, these cameras, I mean, the, the it 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 just creates an, a new way of looking at it. And it's for documentation, it's fabulous. Um, we we've been talking at the pillow as to whether we'd go that direction. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because it's it's just a whole new level of investment and new equipment that would be need a switch of mindsets that we're not ready to do. Um, but um, because it's becoming so accessible and so cheap, um, and now people, everyone's buying 3D TVs for their home, I mean, why not? It's, why not do it if you can? <laughs> I can't see 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, then maybe 360 degrees is better for you, walking into a dome so you can physically move within the space. <laughs> the 
interesting. The thing, the thing with 3D, though, is it's in some ways it's such a gimmick, too, because after you've watched a 3D film for a short bit, you kind of actually forget you're watching 3D. Um, like, I find many times I have to remind myself to actually look for the 3D element. Um, so, I don't know. It's, at some, on some levels, I think the expense may not entirely be worth it. Um, but, it's, um, but then you have films like Avatar that are truly immersive environments. Cool. So, of course, we're here in New York to talk to New York artists about living in New York and working in New York. So maybe you can give us a little window into your world as a, you know, as a, an artist working here, um, surrounded by arts and culture. How do you spend your weekends? How do you spend your days? <laughs> um, uh, admiring the fashion. <laughs> this is d a delightful fashion capital of the world, and, and I eat that up. Um, uh it's actually one of the th areas I want to get into in video as well. I'd love to get into f f video for fashion. Um, but the um, one of the things that, that, that I was excited about when I moved to New York um, was I was excited to be, to create to, a network for myself, a network of friends and, and peers um, that really inspire me to be more than I than I am, um, that really challenged me, and 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 so so I took that to heart when I came here, and, and have really made an effort to make sh to reach out and to network and, and hang out with people who are doing way more than I am doing, <laughs> so that it kicks me in the butt to to do that myself, um, and and I have made some really some really interesting people here who are doing some some crazy stuff. Um, um, like one of one of my great friends from from the pillow is, um, he's a lighting um, he's the lighting director for um, Paul Taylor. It's like, it's like the, for him, it's there's actually no not much more he can go up in his career. I mean, Paul Taylor is, I mean, you can go laterally. You could go to maybe Trisha Brown or or uh, Mark Morris, but um, but I mean that I've got a friend who just graduated from got his masters in um, interior design and is designing hotel interiors around the world like it's it's so to answer your question I, I think a lot of what I do actually right now is trying to build my network um, to inspire myself uh, and to create with um, like I, I've had it's been a hard lesson to realize um, that I've had to learn that I can't do everything alone I've always been very much of a solo person um i never liked the group projects when i did the group projects i always did the work myself <laughs> um and i'm in a field in a creative field that definitely requires people um so that has been a lesson for myself that has been hard learned and um that i put a lot of effort into growing since i moved to new york um i host monthly dinner parties for that very purpose to bring these people together and to try to create from it uh, um, from those from those bonds that are that are created there can i come to the next one <laughs> <laughs> absolutely we invited we invited <laughs> we'll skype you in next time <laughs> you'll just be the laptop on the table <laughs> we'll put a, a plate of pasta in front <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Ben Richards, for, for taking the time to talk to us uh, about your, your life and work here in New York. And uh, is there anywhere that we can get more information about you if a listener is curious about following your career? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I have a website, um, benrichfilm.com, um, and more and more I try to 
try to maintain that as my as the source of what I'm doing. Um, I've definitely got many new projects that I'm actually need to add to the website, so uh, that'll be happening soon. <laughs> so you're, people are very much invited to, to, to check that out. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.